When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. The dream is made real! Ricky Hatton rocks the world! How do you like it? How do you like it? I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. It's over! Mamma mia! He's done it! Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko! Uh, let's get ready to rumble! My, my, this American pie, Tyson Fury makes history by dethroning Deontay Wilder in emphatic fashion. What an unbelievable night of boxing. What a historic night of boxing. And it's nights like this that just make me love boxing so, so much. Oh, just just a bit. It was absolutely, it was just a stunning performance from Tyson. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I enjoyed every single minute of that fight. Um, what a, what a great night it was for, for British boxing in general, just because of him picking out the world title from, from Wilder. And, and it was just a, a masterclass performance for Tyson. And, and you can't knock it. It was just stunning from, from him from start to finish. And it? it was a joy to watch. It really was. So we're going to break this fight down from start to finish. We're going to talk about it because... Like I said at the top there, it was an unbelievable night and it was a historic night as well and for so many reasons and it leads us nicely into what could be another one ticked off our wish list this year if, if anything's to go by what Eddie Hearn was talking about on Twitter in the immediate aftermath of the fight. So let's go back to the fight and let's go back to the ring walks first of all and the ring walks alone were, were quite something to behold really. We obviously Tyson Fury comes in on his throne, carried in or rolled in on, on like a sort of stage with a throne and he's sat there and he comes in to Patsy Klein's crazy and he's singing along as he's going along and it's just like... You know, this is it's just setting the scene already, and it, you know I was kind of already hyped at this point, ready to watch it. You know, I'd, I'd like I said, I'd have stayed up, I fell asleep on the couch, got up ready for it, and then that was the one thing that really got me going. Really, was the entrances to it, and I thought, this is it now. This is finally, this is finally it. How is it going to go down? And all them last minute thoughts were going into my mind about how this will play out, and then obviously Wilder comes in looking like a, a some type of Transformer or a Power Ranger or something like that in his outfit, which um, looked quite heavy, uh, something which we'll touch on later on in the episode, something his trainer said in the aftermath. It looked like a bit of an outfit and a half. So, obviously, we get in, we get the fight started, and it was it was good from the off. The first round, quite tentative, as we expected, but then, obviously, Wilder landed a right hand over the top, and, and that's what sort of set the scene, really, for, for how this fight was was going to end up going down because Fury's jab was impeccable. His left jab was impeccable. 
all the way through the fight, and that's what would set up uh, a lot of the attacks that came throughout the fight. But that first round, quite tentative, but towards the end of the round, obviously Fury's pressure starts to come to fruition, and that was the most notable thing about when Fury came out in that first round, was that he never took a backward step, and he never took a backward step throughout the whole fight. He put the pressure on for me off, and that was what led me to believe straight away that we were going to be in for an interesting fight. Oh, absolutely, and and from the off, I mean, that, that first round was one of the best rounds I've seen from Tyson Fury in a long while. I mean, people, we like to talk about the Klitschko fight, but it was nowhere near as good as that. And You know, he kept Wilder on the back foot and he nullified him. He, he just couldn't set himself. He was just, it, them jabs, that it was like a ramrod, wasn't it? That left-hand jab straight down the middle and he just didn't know what to do with it. And, and you could sense the danger was there. I mean, the second round was probably the only round where you, I sort of felt that maybe Wilder still got that opportunity with the right hand. Other than that, I honestly didn't feel that he was going to cause him any trouble. And obviously that third round is, is the round when it was uh, from a right cross to the temple or to the back of the head, maybe a little bit. Um, that put him down. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe we ruled out. Was it in the back of the head? I don't know. It was a tricky one to really work out. It was, it was a big shot, but um, but obviously Wilder by that point for me looked completely drained just from the jabs alone and, and the right hands. And he just he just didn't have a plan B. And that's the one from we always said about Wilder. He hasn't got a plan B. So he was struggling, really, from that point. Yeah, I mean, looking at that shot that he landed, Fury, if you look at it from different angles, there's been a few angles released uh, from different people on social media. And there's a really good ringside angle of it. And it looks and sounds like a very heavy shot. And it looked like it landed sort of... It looked like he scuffed Wilder's shoulder, but then sort of hit him sort of half on the ear and half on the temple. And it didn't... It, to be honest, it didn't even look like it hit him sort of full-blooded. It wasn't like a full-blooded one, because it scuffed his shoulder as it hit him. If you watch it in slow motion, it actually scuffed a bit of shoulder on the way there. So if it would have been a full-blooded shot, it probably would have caused even more damage to him. And at that point, he goes, Absolutely. his legs go from straight under him, don't they? His legs go from straight under him, he drops to the floor. Obviously, everybody is going bananas at this point, because Fury's just dropped Wilder. Wilder's not been dropped in his professional career to date. So this is big, big, big things, really. And this is the statement of intent for Tyson Fury. And obviously, as we would learn to go on, we'd see the blood coming from his ear, where automatically the commentary team that were doing it were saying, it's a perforated eardrum. And you're led to believe it was a perforated eardrum, but actually it wasn't. But it looked like it, and that temple shot really, really... His legs were gone. After that, his legs were never the same again. He was completely gone. He was completely spent. He was looked like he was blowing out of his ass after that third round. And it was then where I felt like this was the beginning of the end for him. Even at that point, even not in the aftermath, I felt like watching that third round, it was like, he's got him here. He's really got him on the back foot. He could, he could finish this fight. And that was one thing we were saying before we came on to the air for the podcast, was that he was sitting down in his shots a lot more and you mentioned it rightly before when you was talking about in the 12th round of the first fight, after he got up from that heavy knockdown, Fury came back and it felt like he something had clicked and he knew he had him, he knew what he needed to do to beat Deontay Wilder and it's just like he's carried over that 12th round into this second fight. Yeah, absolutely. And and the thing is as well, just the, just the way he, he, he literally... Just, he, he took control of the fight literally from the off. And as you say, it was literally rolling on from the top. I think that's exactly what it was. Maybe that was the reason why he went to the Kronk's gym, because he probably thought, if they could teach me a little something to do with it, you know, put, make my jab a little bit more effective, which basically they did, because that was one of the best jabs I've seen from Tyson Fury in a long while. And uh, in a way, he held his hand out. It almost reminded me a little bit like when Lennox Lewis fought Hasim Ratman. And he would hold that left hand out before swinging that right hand through. And um, and Hasley Ratman couldn't couldn't get round it, and it was similar to Wilder who struggled with that. And the fact that he was on the back foot, no one ever dared to push Wilder back. And and you know you clearly see that when you do put Wilder on the back foot, you know, he's in a bit of bother, uh, and he was hurt. He was he was clearly hurt, and you could sense like from the third round for me, even if he landed a right hand, they weren't going to do anything because he just looked tired, looked drunk in there. He was walking around just staggering about the ring. His feet were square uh, on occasions, especially sort of when he went up against the ropes. And I mean, the one thing I will say as well is Kenny Bayless. I don't know what he was watching or what he was doing <laughs> in that ring at the time because I thought he was pretty damn poor and I thought, yeah, I you agree. know, I think one of them, I mean, two of the, he, he gave two of them knockdowns of slips um, and I think in the third round and the fourth round and 
for me, one of them was a knockdown. I think maybe one of them wasn't. I can't remember which one it was because obviously it was a bit early in the morning and I haven't watched the fight since, to be honest with you. Um, so for me, I, I felt that I felt that one of them would have should have been a, a knockdown. So not quite sure who's watching. But then moving into the fifth round and then and if you get deducted to the point and please explain to me why on earth did he get deducted to the point because I still can't work it out myself. I don't actually know, to be honest with you. I have watched the fight back since because my wife wanted to watch it back and uh, some of my family members wanted to watch it back as well. So I have watched the fight back and, uh, again, I sort of seem to forget why he got deducted that point. Was it because he, the clinching and the holding and the spoiling and that's something I did want to touch on, really, is obviously the, yeah. the ability to, to smother Wilder's work and we did talk about that in the previous episode for it with him going to Kronk and obviously the history of Emmanuel Stewart and the drab and grab and hold tactics that Wilder, uh, not Wilder, Klitschko used to use, and obviously Lewis would use and lo- use his physical advantages over his opponents, over his smaller opponents. It seems to be the same case. He's a bigger man. He's naturally the bigger man, Tyson Fury, and he was heavier, and that's why he's obviously came in heavier for the fight, because he knew he could get in there, he could bully Wilder around, and that's exactly what he did. And that fifth round... I don't know if it was because there was a lot of holding going on and, and part of it was Wilder and part of it was Fury and Fury did the right things. It was the right tactics for the fight, the right tactics for the right fighter he was facing and to me, I don't think he deserved a point deduction. Again, I'd have to watch it back and really study it to understand fully why but I did think Kenny Bayless reminded me very much of Joe Cortez in the Hatton versus Mayweather fight in 2007. Every time they came together... Yeah, he was just he was just there, break, 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 constantly, and he wouldn't give him the chance to fight on the inside. And there were a couple of occasions throughout the seven rounds that it went for where they did fight on the inside, and it was actually pretty good because Wilder was trying to throw on the inside at the same time, and Fury was throwing on the inside. There was a point where they were both in the corner throwing, and it was it was exciting. It was an exciting part of the fight that he enjoyed, and I thought this is the only time the referees allowed them to fight on the inside without breaking up. And then, obviously, in that fifth round, he, he managed to catch him again with a right hand on the top. And then what he also did really well in the fight, which I'm sure you'll agree on, was the way he switched from head to body. And he switched to the body, and it was a body brilliant. shot that dropped him again in the fifth. Yeah, brilliant. And, and that's one thing we don't see with Wilder. People don't seem to want to target that body. And uh, that was, you know, it was clear to see. You work that body, you know, he was already hurt from them jabs. So when he was whipping in them shots to the body, they were causing havoc for Wilder. He was already leggy, already feeling it. Start chucking in some body now, and wow, I mean, he was in all sorts of trouble, wasn't he? I mean, the one thing I, I kept sort of springing to mind was when I, I used to play the old boxing games on the PlayStation, and, you know, when you got the, the body in the corner, and it's orange, and then it turns red. <laughs> I could just see all red for Wilder, to be honest with you. He was in bits, wasn't he? And, and that was a great shot. I mean, it was a good... It was, a, it was a left hand, actually. So it was a left hand to the body. It was like a right hand and a left hand that put him down. And, uh, yeah, obviously, never, no one ever targeted the body. And that's one thing that I've heard many pundits and many people say. And, you know, the one thing people will always say is it's difficult to target Wilder's body because of that dangerous right hand. But it was nullified. That, that hand didn't even come into play. The only time I see it in the first round, I think there was one altercation where he did catch Fury. But... Fury just wrote it off. It it didn't cause him any trouble. It was early in the fight, and um, and then after that, it was it was just worthless. It was it was exhausted. It would have just been a a waste of time. But I mean, again, even with Wild, I mean, the one thing I'd always say is his his team when he was going back to his corner, I was really trying to you know when they do go into the corners just to try and see what they're telling him, and there just wasn't any communication there really. It was almost like they were all shell shocked. There was just as shell shocked as the American Americans that were there. Uh, they were stunned. And they couldn't quite believe what was happening. And, and there was no plan B. There was no plan B. And it just shows you that when you have a guy that is one-dimensional, if you're able to nullify that and you're able to stop that from coming your way and you're able to put your skills and your ability onto them, then what's going to happen is exactly what happened for Tyson Fury. And, and that's the trouble. Is, is, I mean, I've, I've said it before. People have turned around and said, it, does it, it means that Wilder hasn't got a right hand. That, that's ridiculous. I, I would never say that. Wilder could quite easily fight someone like a Joshua or a Dillian White and knock him out. I mean, it's a no-brainer. That is a possible, strong possibility because he has still got a strong right hand. But the one thing I will say is just, just he needs to look at who he's got in his team because there was no... I mean, I didn't get... He just seemed to just be looking at him. They just seemed to be putting eye packs on him and, and, and checking his cut and, and his ear. But there was no advice. And, and I think that's his problem. I think he needs to really look at 
who he's got in his corner uh, because I don't think they're, they're, they're suited for him. He needs to try and find another way of throwing that right hand rather than a looping right. Maybe just have an uppercut. Like you say, he's on the inside. If you could teach Wilder to throw an uppercut with a right hand, you know, he's dangerous on the inside as well. So, I don't know. I just looking at that, that, that really sort of made me realise that not only was Wilder out of his depth, but his team was too. Yeah, I agree on that. I agree that the team didn't seem to really communicate very well with Wilder in that fight. There was one point where I did clearly hear his trainer, J. Diaz, basically saying, throw the right hand, throw the right hand, throw the right hand <laughs> on, on multi- multiple occasions. But that was the only <laughs> advice he was giving him. And obviously Wilder's made a career out of throwing the right hand, so I'm pretty sure he knows it. But it was like that was literally <laughs> that was literally it, just throw the right hand. It's like, well, no, it's obviously not going to work because Tyson Fury is going to be expecting it, anticipating it. So surely you've got to look at a plan B, and that's the problem. Like you said, there's no plan B. And the, the corner weren't communicating really well. And the concerning thing, I think, between the round six and seven was when he was trying to stop the bleeding in his lip and he's using a towel and it's like he's making him bite down on the towel to clean his lips because he's got a really busted lip as well at this point as well as a bad ear. So it just didn't look like I, it didn't look like it was organised very well and it reminded me very much of the time Tyson fought Buster Douglas and they came there very unprepared and they came there with a rubber glove filled with ice and they were trying to put it against Tyson's really sore eye and that that moment where he winced when he went across his eye it reminded me very much of the calamities that were going on in that corner on that particular night and it's no disrespect to them as trainers It, it just seemed to be like they just didn't seem to have anything other than what they were used to maybe it was they were expecting this to be an early night maybe they was just expecting Wilder to blow Fury away and he just wasn't as prepared and like you say they were shell-shocked by it all so his corner I didn't seem to give him the right instructions for me I mean I'm not saying I could have given him anything better or suggesting that I could have given anything better on the night but it just didn't feel like throw the right hand was the right tactics to use because it clearly weren't going to work at this point in so rounds obviously six and seven, he's just getting battered from pillar to post at this point. He's he's trying, bless him, he is trying. But Fury's just throwing the jab, he's throwing the right hands in, he's he's catching a lot of shots now, Wilder. And at this point, you're thinking to yourself, surely his team have got to pull him out. And I felt like that at the end of round six. I was thinking maybe his team really needs to assess whether it's worth putting him out for round seven now. And obviously, as we go into round seven... Fury again continues to pummel him, gets him in the corner, backs him up, lands a couple of straight rights, and obviously they get the signal from one of the cornermen, Mark Breland, to basically say end the fight and throw the towel in, and that wasn't agreed with the other trainer, Jay Diaz, and then obviously Wilder, not happy about it, goes over and says, why did you throw the towel in, why did you throw the towel in, and obviously Mark Breland made the right decision on behalf of the whole team there, because he was getting pummeled at this point, and as you rightly said, nobody's done that to Wilder before. It looks pretty embarrassing for him, pretty humbling, a pretty shattering defeat, if I'm being totally honest with you. And as we move into the aftermath of this, we're going to really talk about how that's going to affect Wilder's career, but the ending to the fight then, Johnston, you just couldn't believe yeah. it was still happening. I couldn't believe it was happening. I was just absolutely, at this point, jumping out of my seat, going mad, thinking this is it, he's finally going to do it after all this and all this talk and the way he's came back from everything over the years, this is it, he's going to do it and he did and I was so chuffed. I, I was really chuffed for Tyson and and, and, Ty, and one thing I'll say is you know, they said from the off that their game plan was going to be to fight on the front foot. I mean, I, I, I did say I felt that Tyson would stop Wilder and I did believe that. I just felt that because I, I just felt that Tyson was a better fighter and, and I think he was going to he was going to put on a, a performance like this. I didn't. I didn't expect him to be so aggressive. That is one thing I didn't expect. And and the, and the way he finished it, he was very patient as well, with Tyson. And, and credit to Wild. I mean, he fought on. He, you know, he, he didn't. He, like he said, he wanted to go out on his shield. But you know, you've got a responsibility in the corner. Why are you going to allow someone, especially in the heavyweight game, especially when you got a guy that's what was he nineteen stone? Was he Tyson? You know, he had like an extra stone or cut of stones with me on, on Wilder and. You can't be having guys smashing your face like that. And, and Wilder's hands were low from the fifth. You know, he's getting he's getting it flush now. I mean, credit to the guy that he did stand up to it. I mean, you can't knock him for that. He showed a lot of heart. But let's be honest, you know, for the safety of your fighter, Mark Breland made the absolutely the right decision to throw in the towel. Whether Joe Diaz says, oh, I don't believe it should be, and he, you know, that right hand is still there. 
maybe that is a clear indication for me that Wilder probably needs to get rid of JDS for me because that is a stupid thing to say. I think Mark Breland was probably the brains of the operation and um, and I think he's probably one guy that should stick around and probably be a part of a team with Wilder going, in, going into future fights. But, you know, they definitely need a plan B because, you know, you, you clearly see it. You put a bit of pressure on him and he, and he, and he struggled. And um, when he can't hit that right hand... That's it, mate, unfortunately. And, and I mean, before I say that with Wilder and then going out on his shield, I mean, you, you can't knock the fact that Tyson was outstanding. He really was. And I enjoyed his performance. I thought he was that. I just thought he was brilliant. I thought the way he approached it. I mean, he was very confident, as you say, going into the ring with a crown on and <laughs> singing away with him. And, uh, yeah, I, I, at first, when I, when I first see him coming, I thought, oh, God, maybe he's a little bit overconfident here. But he was confident. He knew exactly what he needed to do. And, and and he showed that that Wilder is just one dimensional. Unfortunately, you know you can nullify that right hand, you can you can beat him, and that's it is as simple as that. And the other thing we did say in the show before the fight was the the opponents that Wilder's fought. He hasn't fought guys that are going to cause him problems and put him on the back foot, and and guys that are going to make him really worry. And that was the difference. Tyson Fury has he fought Klitschko, and, and that's the difference. And he had the, the experience of Wilder in the first fight made him a better fighter, made him a better person, stronger mentally. He knew exactly what he needed. He's his own man. I know um, Sugar um, Stewart takes absolute credit as well, but Tyson, for me, knows what he was doing. He knew what he wanted from him, and, and, he, and he, he, he took it in like a sponge, and he, and he, he produced the goods on the night. And I'm just, I can't, I mean, I'm, I'm in absolute, I, I, I can't believe it. I think it's fantastic. We've got two of the best heavyweights for me, in Britain, and it, it, you know, I'm not going to move on to jump on too far, Sean, but I mean, it's the fight we all want to see, isn't it? Surely. Yeah, well, this is where we go into it now. We talk about the consequences of this particular fight and how it impacts on the future of the heavyweight landscape. And obviously, now all the world heavyweight titles are owned by a British fighter. So, obviously, you've got Deontay Wilder losing the WBC to Tyson Fury. So, now Tyson Fury has the WBC, the ring, and the lineal. And now Anthony Joshua has the WBA, WBO, and the IBF World Heavyweight titles. So, for me, this now gives us the biggest fight that I think anybody in the world would want to see. This is the fight everybody wants to see now. And even Eddie Hearn praised Tyson Fury for that performance. A lot of people who were in the matchroom stable praised Tyson Fury's performance. Eddie Hearn's right-hand man, Frank Smith, was there. He was at ringside for the fight. And the reason was, was obviously to scope out who the winner was and, and look at the potential of making a fight with the winner. And now it's looking very much like the positive news is that we might actually get this fight that we've put on our wish list at the start of the year when we did our boxing wish list episode. There are obviously a lot of obstacles and hurdles that would have to be overcome to get that fight happening. But... It's not out of reach. That's one thing for sure. I mean, we've seen it in the past. 2002, Lewis versus Tyson. Different networks, different promoters. It happened. Joint announcements. Buffer, Jimmy Lennon Jr. It happened then. So why can't it happen now? And people need to put aside all the politics of boxing and put this fight on because it has to happen. It's the probably the biggest fight in the last 40, 50 years if it happens. And I know... That's a bold statement. It's a massive statement, but it's a statement I think is quite rightly going to be backed up when you've got two champions with all the belts fighting for one undisputed championship of the world. Something we've always wanted in every division. We moan all the time about all the bullshit titles that all the organisation make up, the diamond, the interims, the regulars. This is all the belts. It's got to be for all the belts. Oh. It's just a no-brainer. I mean, the fact that it's two Brits, it's the first time ever. We've never had two British heavyweights with all the belts. It's just never happened. We've had Lennox Lewis with all the belts. He had another Brit to fight. You know, Bruno was around at the time, but he didn't hold all the belts by then. This is a one-off. This, is, this isn't even one thing, you know, this isn't once in every 40 years, every 50 years, every 100 years. This is a one-off. And it makes absolutely no sense for guys like Eddie Hearn and Frank Warren not to sort their shit out and get this fight on. And for it to be in this country, you are talking about two Brits in their peak. I mean, it's got it's just a dream. It really is. As a boxing fan, I can't... You know, when I'm watching Fury bust up Wilder, that's all I'm thinking. 
And and I'm I'm a, I'm a boxing fan here. I know I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, I'm a Joshua fan or I'm a Fury fan. I'm both their fans. And to be quite honest with you, it, it just gives me goosebumps. The thought of those two fighting each other, I just it, it just it does things. So that would just I mean we talk about flipping George Groves and uh, Carl Frotch and how much that fight with that got fight of the decade. Everything didn't it for us on a domestic level, national level. That just you know, British boxing went on to a whole new dimension after that fight. Could you imagine? Could you imagine after this fight what would happen? I mean, there could be a rematch clause in it as well. It's just, it's a no-brainer. I mean, the Wilder third fight, really? I mean, would, I mean, Wilder apparently has an opportunity to trigger a third fight. Um, for me, in his case, back, you know, he's lost twice. Let's, let's get real here. He lost the first fight. We all think that he lost the first fight. Although I said, you know, you can understand why some would have gone with a draw. You know, bit hard to, to go with a draw. No way Wilder won that fight. Fury won the fight, let's be honest. He's, won, he's, he's beaten twice. What's he going to go in there now to fight him again for? Makes no sense. It's got to be Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua, whether it happens after the Pulev fight and it happens in August or September, whatever, this fight has to happen, Sean. And it's just, you know, it's mouthful, I mean, and it's something that if it doesn't happen, I'm not going to put it down to Joshua. I'm not putting it down to Fury. I'm putting it down to the, the guys that are backing him. And this is what we said at the top of the year. Those guys need to man up and say, I want this fight, and I don't give a shit what you think, you make the fight happen for me. And that's it. That's all it needs to happen. It's as simple as that. It's a no-brainer. Yeah, I agree. I 100% agree, and I don't think you'll see anybody on Twitter, Facebook, any social media channel will disagree on that because it's a history-making fight. Fury himself winning this WBC title has now made history, and he's the first fighter in boxing history to the end of the reign uh, of two heavyweight champions that had 10 or more title defences. So in 2015, he obviously beat Vladimir Klitschko, who was attempting his 19th title defence. And obviously now this year, 2020, he beats Deontay Wilder, who was attempting his 11th title defence when he faced Fury for a second time. So he's already made his mark in history, cemented his legacy, so to speak. He's also the only man to ever have won the Ring Magazine heavyweight title on two occasions the only other man being Muhammad Ali. So this is the company he's now in against. And a couple of years ago, there was comments about Tyson Fury moving like Muhammad Ali, the way he moves like him, the way he is, you know, the, the, the sort of style, there's no one that's been like him. And a lot of people would have just took the piss and laughed at you about that. But them stats and them figures, they tell the story. That is the truth. There's there's no arguing against it. If he was to go and beat Anthony Joshua and unify the division, be the undisputed champion, he would definitely be in with a shout as one of the greatest heavyweight boxers of all time in the world. Not just Britain, but in the world. He would probably go down as the greatest British heavyweight boxer of all time, without a shadow of a doubt. I think he'd overthrow Lennox Lewis for that accolade if he did that and he beat Anthony Joshua. And to be honest with you... Joshua wouldn't be too far behind them because obviously if he was to win the fight with Tyson Fury, you know, that would put him and he would cement his legacy. Either either man, whoever won that fight could retire. Simple as that. That is the pinnacle yeah. of their careers. There's there's nothing else for both of them after that. If either man won that fight, they could retire. The loser, they could stick around for a bit longer, try and make a little bit of history, get a bit more money. But the winner of that fight, if that should happen, they've created history. And they have gone down in the record books and there is nothing left for them to do. I've seen Tyson Fury's dad, John Fury, was on Good Morning Britain today. And he was talking about saying Tyson should retire now. He's, he's overcome a lot. It took him a lot to get to where he's got to. And maybe he should retire now on the pinnacle of his career. And people will understand why he's doing that as a father and why he's saying that as a father. But obviously we know he's capable of beating anybody out there. And Anthony Joshua is a great fight for him, and Anthony Joshua will feel the same. Of course he will. He wants the fight. He's not shying away from it. You know, he's not specifically said anything in a statement as such, but there's been a few people that are around him that are saying he wants the fight. He's not shying away from the fight. So, he's unbelievable. But let's just talk about Wilder for a second, Johnston, because we're leaving this this man out of the equation a little bit here (laughs) and talking about, obviously, what we want to see. What happens for Wilder's career now? For me, I think I think there's there's enough fights out there for Deontay. I don't. I think to hear the Tyson Fury rematch, you know, I say that the third fight would be a, a wrong decision. I wouldn't. I don't see the point. I think he needs to go back to the drawing board, which means he will need a couple of fights um, for him to be getting him 
back into contention. I mean, he is, what, 33, 33 years old now, Deontay Wilder, so, you know, he, he is no spring chicken. Uh, but, you know, that being said, I mean, this is the craziness. People, like, I've heard people say that they think he should retire and he's been exposed. Well, like, he, has, he has been, don't get me wrong, yes. We always knew he had the one shot. I think people just assumed that he was going to be able to get rid of everybody that every, he, he ever faced. Fortunately, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's not a bad thing for him because he can recuperate, he can recover, and he can go again. And his fight's that. I mean, the one fight for me that I would love to see, I mean, we're talking about Anthony Joshua and um, Tyson Fury now. But for me, the only other guy that Deontay Wilder should face is someone like Dillian White. I mean, what a great fight that is. And and that is the sort of fight where either one of them two win that, they throw themselves right to whoever wins out of Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury if they were to face each other. You know, you've now we've finally got four guys that, you know, could all, on their day, they could all beat each other. All right, Tyson Fury produced the goods and he was outstanding. But it doesn't by no means mean that he's going to be implementing the same style we showed against Deontay Wilder against Anthony Joshua. Because I don't think it's going to be as simple as that. Anthony Joshua isn't a one-trip pony. So you know, he's going to have to adjust. I'm not saying he can't. I still believe he is the best heavyweight around. And then even then you throw the old Usyk in the remix as well. If you want to, if you, if, if Wilder fancies a, a fight against Usyk, a smaller heavyweight, maybe that's another way, another stepping stone. Andy Ruiz is another fight for, for Wilder. So there's enough fighters out there for him. I just think he needs to go back, take a bit of time out. And I know he's an old dog, so can he learn some new tricks? I'm not too sure he can. But my hand is still destructive and devastating. And if he lands it and he's fresh, then he can knock anyone out. So, you know, he's, sti- he's, still, a- he's still around. He's still one of the top four fighters in the heavyweight division for me. And, um, yeah, it's just about maybe looking at his team. Looking at the people who are managing them as well, his promoters as well, like the whole fucking shenanigans, the whole thing, I think they've fucked him about and they haven't really got him in a position where he could beat a Tyson Fury. And um, so, yeah, I think he needs to assess. Uh, but I still think he'll come back and I still think he can win a world title again. So a couple of bits of stuff that I've seen on social media uh, in the midst of, obviously, this fight. So I've heard that Dante Wilder has actually got rid of Mark Breland, who was the trainer who stopped the fight. So that's breaking news as of the past hour, as we're recording this, that he's actually ditched his trainer, the one that turned around and said, let's stop the fight. So... He obviously felt he obviously felt that bad by the fact that his trainer decided to or one of his cornermen decided to put the towel in because he he was thinking about his health, which is right because he was doing his job and he's decided to to get rid of him for that. Which I think it's a bit of shitty of him to be honest with you. I understand he wanted to go out on his shield. He was saying that in the post fight interview for the fight, but at the end of the day, your corner are there as a, you're there as a team. They're there to make the right decisions for you. And if they can see something that you can't as the fighter in the ring, they're going to make that decision on the night. And he made a decision because he felt obviously his health was more important than his wealth. And that is exactly what he's done. And for me, that's a poor decision for Wilder to do that. I don't understand why he's done that. Uh, I think if anybody is accountable for Wilder's poor performance, it's the it's the head cornerman, which is Jay Diaz, who didn't seem yeah. to have a clue what sort of advice to give him on the night. So if anybody should be getting sacked, it should be him personally. So I've seen that. And then just got touching back on Fury, uh, Teddy Atlas, who was quite bipolar about his opinions going into the fight. One minute he was saying the weight that Fury's put on for the fight is going to end up helping him lose the fight. And then after he won the fight, he was praising Fury. And today I've seen him tweet about the fact that Tyson Fury, to him, is the closest we'll ever get to another Muhammad Ali. And he was saying that people are going to go nuts over that comment and that he is the closest we're ever going to get because he's the showman, he's got the skills similar to Muhammad Ali. And as I said earlier in the conversation, people would have laughed their asses off about that a couple of years ago. But in reality now, he probably is the closest we're going to get to another Muhammad Ali. I'm not saying he's exactly the same. Muhammad Ali was a one-off. You're never going to get another one. And I don't think you'll ever get another Tyson Fury. True. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't... I'm with you. I think in the era that he's in, Tyson Fury, you know, you could could say that in terms of what he's done. Um, Again, I mean, if you start Tyson Fury with a Joe Frazier... Uh, just being honest, or George Foreman, for instance, both in their peaks, would he be able to do what Ali did? Probably not. I don't believe so. I mean, that is just a different era. You put Joe Frazier, a fresh prime Joe Frazier in today's era, he, wipes, he just cleans up. 
You know, and that's no disrespect to Tyson Fury because he's a great fighter. But, you know, we're talking about guys back then. I mean, when you look at the guys they were fighting and how many times they were fighting and how many how many wars they were in. I mean, what Foreman done to, to Joe Frazier and then people even, even you know, can even compare sort of like a George Foreman and a, and a Wilder, albeit I can understand the, the analogy of the fight with Wilder and uh, Fury and, you know, Foreman and Frazier. I get that. There is a comparison there, but for me, it's just a different era. But look, what he's done is he's he basically, you know, he's the first ever heavyweight, as you said, was it to win the ring title at heavyweight? The only one to win it twice is Muhammad Ali. That put alongside them great. You know, he is in this era. He is one of the best, and he is the best at the minute. There is no doubt about it. I mean, we said it. I think everyone said it. If, if Tyson Fury could get back into the form he had when he had against Klitschko, he will dominate the heavyweight division. And he's actually come back even better than that, isn't he? Let's be honest. He's come back the best Tyson Fury ever seen. And and the fact that, you know, Teddy Atlas saying about the 19 something, I see that and I thought that's ridiculous because I heard his dad saying that's the best weight he could fight at. 18, 19 stone. Anything less than that, he's actually weight drained. So, or too fit and he was losing too much weight. And that's probably why we had the situation with Otto Volling where he struggled that night because he was too, you know, it was just too, he wasn't heavy enough. So, I don't know. Look, end of the day, I think Tyson Fury is the absolute king of at the moment. You know, you're as good as your last fight. So Tyson Fury's the man. And, and I, you know, I nod my head to it. And I just hope that I know his dad wants him out of the game. Just have the one fight, if anything. Sign up for a two-match fight with Joshua. And let's get it on. <laughs> yes. Well, we'll see what happens. Obviously, you, you mentioned earlier about the... Uh, exercise in the rematch clause and apparently Shelley Finkel, Wilder's co-manager, has already said they're going to exercise that right for the third fight. Pointless, as you said, Johnston, don't agree with that. Don't see why they need to do that. Obviously, if they've got it in there, then they've got the right to exercise it. But, obviously, Joshua was supposed to be facing Pulev in June and unless everybody can get their heads together and get this fight together that we want to see, these fights are probably going to end up happening. We might see the third fight this year with Wilder and Fury, and then we might see Pulev and Joshua in London in June. We'll see what happens, but obviously yeah. it's getting closer and closer to that big, the biggest fight in, one of the biggest fights in boxing history, sure, of course it will be. It'll definitely be up there as one of them. So I think I think that's, that's it for the sort of Fury aftermath and, and talking about it. We've spent a good half an hour, 35 minutes talking about it. There was other fights on over the weekend. I did want to use a little bit of time to just touch on the Golden Contract Tournament on the Friday night, which obviously flew under the radar because of the weekend that it was on. So the Golden Contract Tournament, we've absolutely loved it so far. So these this was the semi-finals uh, leading into the final, which is going to be around about June. So you obviously had O'Hara Davis and Tyro McKenna in there. And you also had, obviously, Ryan Walsh and Lee Wood. And then you also had Jazza Dickens as well going in against Tyron McCullough. And it actually was a really, really good fight night on Friday night. And anybody that might have watched it will probably agree it was some quality fights on the show. But the one that I wanted to talk about the most was the controversial one, which was Tyrone McKenna versus Mohamed Mamoume. Now, Tyrone McKenna got the decision in this particular fight when pretty much everybody who is everybody felt like Mohamed Mamoume won that particular fight. And I just wanted to touch again on something we've spoke about quite recently in terms of the officials for British Boxing Board of Control and obviously in America as well, the officials over there. And we were speaking about how do they how do they combat issues with poor scorecards or scorecards that have gone completely the opposite direction to what everybody else has seen on the night. And I put a little tweet out on on my social media, and I actually had a, a professional who commented on it, Sam O'Mason. Big shout out to Sam. He actually said a good point. He's like, when boxers every year have to go through medicals every year to have a license to be able to fight, he was suggesting something along the lines of maybe officials should have some type of examination, medical wise, to check that you know they are fully competent and fully fit to be able to to judge a fight correctly. And my arguments were things that we've already spoke about, Johnson, which is things like if they get a bad scorecard, I think it was you that actually mentioned this, if they get a couple of bad scorecards in a row, then maybe they should be demoted to a smaller show. 
to a leisure centre mm-hmm. show or something like that rather than a bigger show that was on Sky Sports and that should be the way of them getting demoted like the adopting obviously the Premier League if you have a couple of bad decisions in a, in a high profile football match what do they do they demote him to a lower league for a couple of weekends until they can show that they're back at the level to make a really good uh, official decision so Tyrone McKenna got the victory obviously he felt like he won the fight and of course in the post fight interview Obviously, he can't control what the judges see in that fight, but poor Mimume, he well thought he won that fight. When they were announcing it, Mimume started running off celebrating, and even the referee, even the referee, the official in the ring, questioned that, because even he looked back at the announcer to check that was the right person that he'd announced, because even he thought Mohamed Mimume had won the fight, (laughs) and he was the closest one to the fighters in the ring at the time. So, it just goes to show you that, obviously, poor scorecards, again, are just ruining fights. And then you get people that have got their own conspiracy theories about how it's an MTK show, Tyrone McKenna's an MTK fighter, and then they've got, obviously, Davis, who won his fight against Jeff Afori in a cracker as well. So they wanted to set up the final that was always billed from the beginning. So that particular fight, that particular scorecard, the ways of dealing with this situation, what are your thoughts, again, on this? I think you're absolutely right. I think when when you do have poor scorecards put in, and, and quite clearly... They were. Um, I think you're right. I think you need to be assessed with whether they get demoted or whether they sit down and they have to go through the fight and explain to them why they feel that they won certain rounds and just literally go through the whole fight again. And if they then, you know, if, if the boxing board of control feel that his his reasons are are worthy, um, then they allow him to keep going and they will and they can come out and make a statement with that. But you know, the fact is is the worry is is that if you've got guys like that that are scoring fights that are well off, then in actual fact, I think um, you know something needs to be done. I mean, we keep saying the same thing, and I'm with you. I think I think the demotion of a of a judge onto a small hall card, I mean, it might not help the guys in the small hall for heights. They're probably thinking, no, I don't want my fucking judge. But, um, <laughs> but but the fact is, is that you know it's something that needs to be done. Maybe then they can assess it. Um, but I think he's reasoning. I think I think if anything, you can come out and say. I mean, we've had it before when we do our legendary nights, and you have have judges that will come out with a bizarre scorecard, and then they're sort of saying afterwards, "I don't know, I've made a mistake," kind of thing. So, you know, they openly come out and say it. Maybe something like that as well. I think I think the demotion of a judge is absolutely right. I mean, and Mamouri, as you say, he was. It did seem like he won the fight. I mean, I. I watched the fight, but I didn't watch it enough to score it. I sort of was in, in and out of the room at times, so I, ca- I can't really comment on whether it was an absolute robbery. But when I did look at, when I was watching the fight, and then I did hear the scorecards, and you know, you're talking about, you know, some some bizarre. I mean, it was a, was there a 97, 93, and then a 96, 94 twice? That seems a bit steep for me. I thought at least my roommate should be getting at least one of them. Maybe it's a split decision. Maybe it's just a lot tighter. Um, so yeah, I thought I thought the scorecards were a bit bizarre. So I don't know. I'm with you. I think the demotion, or even like as you say, just just uh, as 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 fighters of medicals, it's why I can't, why can't you do it with the judges as well? I, I completely agree with that as well. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, well, we'll go see what happens. I mean, I don't think anything will. I said openly on social media that it'll just get brushed under the rug and it'll just carry on week by week that's what happens unfortunately but I think the more people that do call it out and the more people that question it it's likely that something's going to happen if more people start to question it I think more people in the sport need to question it more than anybody you know promoters need to be questioning it a little bit more managers need to be questioning it the fighters themselves need to be questioning it a little bit more because at the end of the day as I was saying to, to Sam O'Mason it's them that are getting in the ring at the end of it it's them that basically could be denied a life-changing sum of money if they lose a fight on the cards where they've clearly won the fight in everybody else's eyes. So, yeah, I agree. It needs to change. So, that final now in the super lightweight division is the one that everybody was kind of wanting, really. So, his old Harry Davis and Tyrone McKenna are going to go at it. And looking at the fight... Tyrone McKenna and O'Hara Davis, it's going to be an interesting affair because obviously they've built up a little bit of beef between them and I'm excited to see how that goes down but I, I can't help but feel really bad for Mimoume because I feel like he should be the one in the final against O'Hara Davis. So so in the other two fights, as I was saying, we had Tyrone McCullough going in against Ryan Walsh, uh, Jazza Dickens, sorry. Jazza Dickens had a great fight with Tyrone McCullough, done a little bit of a number on him, got the victory over him and then it was Ryan Walsh that beat Lee Wood and got the victory over him. So them two are going to fight in the final. So that 
contracts, the final of them two golden contracts. So it was, a, again, a good Friday night. So if any of you US fans didn't check it out, go and check it out. Some good cracking little scraps on there. I really, really enjoyed it. So it was just overshadowed by <laughs> by obviously such a big, yeah. big night for boxing, and, and rightly so, of course. So it was uh, really enjoyable. And one thing that I wanted to touch back on coming towards the end of the episode about the aftermath of Fury Wilder was when Eddie Hearn tweeted about the fact that they wanted to make Fury versus Joshua in the summer. And then underneath that tweet, the first person that I saw who's a verified Twitter user was WBC number one contender for about 600 days, Dillian White, saying, what about him? What When's he going to get his shot? And again, I feel sorry for him, but I think Fury versus Joshua for me, trumps Fury versus White. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think, you know, there is a, some something in writing where if if uh, if there's an undisputed on the on the table between two fighters that, that gazumps any mandatory. So again, there's no reason why it can't happen. Even if you know, like you say, Shelley Finkel is you know, Shelley it doesn't surprise me that he would say he wants to trigger that third match because you know, for me, I mean, he, he's been about a long time, Shelley, and, and he sort of goes under the radar a little bit. He he has he, has, he was involved with Hagler Hearns, I believe, um, and he was a, a big part of that and getting that fight together. So, you know, that's, that's credit to him. But with the way he has uh, tried to, to to promote Wilder has been all wrong. And, and I think that that is just, they need to just not even bother with that. And even if he does trigger it and there's a fine, then I'm sure there's enough money amongst Matrim and Queensborough where they could just quite easily give him a little, little a couple of million here and just set him away quietly because I'm sure he will take the money and, and, and settle that and, and let Wilder fight a different fight somewhere else. But for me, undisputed, absolutely after him. Dillian White, fair enough, he's come up with the short straw once a game, but he weren't going to get a fight against Wilder if Wilder won that in a way until, what, February 2021? So, you know, he's got to just buy his time. If anything, he should push the fight for Wilder. I think that's where White should be going. You know, he, he should be looking at the loser of that fight. And, and you know, as I say, I've, after that, if if he does, if he gets a fight of Wilder, that's almost like an elimination fight, isn't it? I mean, you've got it. You've got the best four. We've been speaking about this for a long time. And I think I don't think many people will, will even question the fact that they are the best four in every division. Yes, Usyk is the other guy. And he's a dark horse of the division. No one quite knows what he can do against these guys. He sits roughly around just behind them because he hasn't had the opportunity of heavyweight in a minute. He's going to have to wait for his moment. But for me, they're the best four. They need to fight. They can fight this year. All four of them can fight each other this year. And it sets it up lovely for 2021, doesn't it? So for me, I mean, I get where Dillian White's coming from. But um, unfortunately, mate, you're going to have to wait a bit longer. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, someone that won't have to wait too long for their shot at a world title is Prince Charles Martin because he picked up the victory in six rounds over Gerald Washington on the undercard of Fury Wilder. So it made him go into the position behind Kubrat Pulev to fight for the IBF title. So if Anthony Joshua Kubrat Pulev does happen and Joshua comes through that successfully, that makes Charles Martin the next in line to fight for the IBF. Will he get that shot before Dillian White gets a WBC title shot? Probably. It wouldn't surprise me, but I wouldn't like to see Joshua, <laughs> yeah. Joshua Prince Charles Martin again. But uh, he actually got the victory. And right. to be honest with you, I watched the fight. I did catch the fight with Washington and... He actually looked all right. I'm not saying he's, he's the greatest thing that's ever walked the earth that he was saying in his build-up to Joshua, but he <laughs> certainly had a good fight with Washington, who obviously has been in with big names, but has always ended up losing to the big names, like Wilder. He lost to Jarrell Miller, and he's lost to Knuaki as well. So, for me, Prince Charles Martin, he's, he's, he's putting himself back into that top 10 now of, of heavyweight boxers and he's putting himself into a position to maybe fight for a world title. So he got the victory on the undercard of that as well. And then obviously another fight that I really enjoy watching is Emmanuel Navarati, who got an 11th round stoppage over Heo Sansima. So Navarati looked really, really good as well. And he's, he's someone we've spoke about when he beat Isaac Dogbay twice in a row and yeah. someone we want to see go into these mega fights and we spoke about it on the preview to it so the fights now I think for him and obviously in the super bantamweight division 
we've got to, we've got to see these big fights for him now. He looks really, really good yet again, and I really want to see him get in the ring with Ray Vargas. I think that's the fight for me that I think he needs now is a unification with Ray Vargas because Ray Vargas currently holds the WBC Super Bantamweight title, so that's the fight in the in that division that I'd really, really want to see. And these two guys just need to get it on. But Navarrete, another great performance from him getting the victory there on the undercard of that one. Yeah, I like Navarrete, you know, you're right. I mean, Ray Vargas, he, he beat Jamie McDonald, didn't he, uh, a couple of years ago, if I remember rightly. Yep. Um, and he was, uh, yeah, that was that was the first time I'd really seen him. Um, I'd sort of seen him on the undercard a couple of times, and then that, that night I thought he looked outstanding, and that's a great fight with Navarrete. I do like Navarrete. He does remind me a little bit of, like, Santa Cruz. He's so tall, throws a lot of shots. He stands upright, doesn't he? I mean, Dog Bay... He's another guy in there as well. I mean, Dog Bay is a good little fighter. I just think he, you know, he come up against a bigger guy, to be quite honest with you. But, um, yeah, I mean, I didn't see the fight. You know, I was the main fight was obviously the big one. Um, so I missed that. I will try and recap on that. But I um, sort of knew he would win the fight. You know, good stoppage for him in the 11th. But, but just going back, one thing we haven't, one thing I haven't mentioned is we did do our USA against the UK, didn't we? And, uh, yes. you know, if anyone actually remembers the current score at that time when it was... The UK had 19 wins and the USA had 16 with two draws. And there, good old Tyson Fury's made it a nice round 20 for the UK against yes. USA. So, uh, <laughs> loving that. Um, I've just just put one over on the Americans as well. But um, <laughs> <laughs> it's just a bit of fun, let's be honest. But yeah, he even made it number 20 for us too. So, quality. Yeah, and I just want to say thank you to all those that did listen to that episode and downloaded the episode. Got some really, really good numbers on that and, and some great feedback on the back of that episode as well. So thank you to everybody that took the time to download that as part of Fight Week for Fury Wilder. We really enjoyed sitting down to do it as a little bit of a, of a one-off special ahead of that particular fight. And, and of course, we'll continue to do that for all the big fights. So I haven't really got anything else I wanted to touch on for this particular weekend. It was obviously all about Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder, and we've covered that extensively and about how we want to see the next big fight for Tyson Fury and how we want to see him fight Joshua and what Wilder's going to do next and all the stuff that's gone around it and surrounding the fight. So, of course, if you've enjoyed listening to this episode and our breakdown of Fury versus Wilder, then please go and let us know on social media by tweeting us at BTR Boxing Pod on Twitter. We've got the Facebook page, BTR Boxing Podcast. And one thing that I want you to go and do is take just a couple of minutes out of your time to go and rate us on Apple Podcasts. If you're an Apple Podcast user, that is, of course, go and rate us on there. Give us the five stars that we so really, really desperately need to keep us pushing up in there. And we are top of the charts in UK for sports news podcasts. So yet again, we've managed to get to the top of the charts. So it really, really does help us. So this is exactly why I always say it on every episode, because if people do that, it really, really does help us. Apple have got this weird algorithm of how they calculate people going up to the top of the charts. And unfortunately for us, because of obviously our number of downloads and ratings, we've got up there yet again in the, in the space of two months. So I'm really, really chuffed with it. So if you're going to do anything after listening to this episode, go and rate us on Apple Podcast. Even if you're just rating us five stars, and even if you just write something along the lines of, fluffy bunny marshmallows we don't care what you write as long as you go on there and rate us five stars because it truly helps us so again fury versus wilder amazing night unbelievable night and i've really enjoyed covering this fight week and this fight weekend it's been unbelievable and thank you to all the fight fans that have listened to us over the past week and we'll see you on the next episode of btr boxing podcast Podcast Network.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.